Jesus, our friend in faith. And we'll also be mentioning Abraham. When James mentions Abraham as the friend of God, and uh, Paul mentions him in Galatians chapter 3 as the father of those of faith, the father of our faith. So we have this friendship of faith and family. I'm going to read from Psalm 22 as Jesus, as portrayed by David's psalm here, speaks to us as his family, as his friends, speaks to us about his father. In Psalm 22 and verse 22, Jesus says, I'll praise you to all my brothers and sisters. I'll stand up before the assembly. In one translation, it says, the gathering of my friends. And testify of the wonderful things you have done. Let all Israel sing his praises, for he has not despised my cries of deep despair. He has not turned and walked away. When I cried to him, he heard and came. Uh, he's speaking for all of us. So in Paul's letter to the Hebrews, he quotes these words. In Hebrews chapter 2, Paul takes that psalm and quotes the words of Jesus to encourage the Hebrews and us to not give up because they're going through times of affliction. Hebrews were going through hard times. So Paul compares Jesus going through his hard times and how he cries out to his father. And so he quotes Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, right from that very psalm. And he says, I'll tell my good friends, my brothers and sisters, all I know about you. He's talking to his father. I'll join them in worship and praise to you. Again, he puts himself in the same family circle when he says, even I live by placing my trust in God. And he goes on to say, I'm here with the children God gave me. Well, that's a wonderful sense of identity, isn't it? The, the, the big thoughts of Jesus are, I've got dad and I've got my brothers and sisters and they're my friends and family. That's his heart for us. And then it goes on, verse 14, since we, Paul says, God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood too by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die for our sakes. As we were encouraged this morning about the resurrection life, he died for our sakes so that we could be raised with him as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. And then he goes on to speak about Abraham in that particular verse, that, that uh, passage of scripture there in Hebrews 2, verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So we've got a whole lot of friends here. Abraham, a friend of God. Jesus is our friend. And... Uh, in John 15, that's what Jesus said, I call you no longer servants but friends, for I tell you all the things that the Father's told me. So it's all about the family and the friends and Jesus wanting to include us. Now this means that Jesus stands in the place for all humanity towards the Father. And he stands in the place of the Father towards all humanity. 
He's made us one with him as a brother and a friend in faith. That fact, not just a concept, that reality is so huge that we can be aware at any one moment in time that as Jesus relates to the Father, he's thinking of us and bringing us to the Father in all of the things that we're occupied with. That's his ministry in heaven. He ever lives to make intercession, the Bible says, for us. And when he's relating to us, he's wanting to tell us about the Father, the love of the Father. Now, that's where we live. That's our heavenly life on earth. So Jesus is not only the heavenly example to us, but a partner with us in a walk of faith. He's not just saying, well, you can see what I did. Do your best to keep up. No, no. He says, I'll be there with you in every single thing you're going through. And I'm part of your walk. And he says in that psalm about his father, he's not turned and walked away. When I cried to him, he heard and came. He's telling us that's going to be our experience. So he trusted totally in the love of his father to guide him through his life on earth. And he's saying that he's one with his earthly friends, brothers and sisters. And when they go through trials and afflictions, trials of faith, he will give them, and this is the point I want to make today, his faith to go through their sufferings. In other words, we can now receive the very faith that he has always had in the Father. See, he represents humanity to the Father. So he is everything to us. <laughs> in him we died, we rose again. He is our baptism. The death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, that's Jesus. He is that. He is our life. He is our wisdom. He's been made unto us wisdom and, and righteousness, which means alignment with the Father. He's done that. In him we are right with God. Now, so in him... Everything is done to the Father for us. Well, how can we have his faith? Would Jesus leave that out and say, well, look, your faith, that's up to you. Well, I'll tell you what is up to us, is believing that he is everything to us. That's, that's, that is what we have to believe. But he does the actual spiritual work behind in the world of the unseen on our behalf for the Father. We repent from dead works, that is our own self-effort, and have faith towards God. And this is an encouragement for us to live in that partnership with him. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says it very well, very emphatically. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not just faith in. Certain translations were put in faith in, because that was too big a concept, too big a reality, a faith of the Son of God. No, 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 better not say that. Well, better say that. Better say that, because that's what it says. Paul goes on to say, um, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I do not bring to naught the grace of God, otherwise Christ died in vain. There is nothing that Jesus won't do for us towards the Father. I was talking to Errol through the week about the time I spent in the Philippines, and Errol spent a lot of time in the Philippines too, in a similar period of time with the Christians there. Errol and, and and Judith and Prudence would have been around. We were discussing how beautiful the faith of the Filipino people is. They're very humble people and, um, and they love God and they're family people and they live as brothers and sisters. Well, when Tinika and I were living in the Philippines in the late 70s, we were training the church up to become fully led by the Filipino pastors that we wanted to set in. And one day I was preaching about faith, and at the end of one meeting, a lady asked me to pray for her concerning the shared ownership of their extended family of a small community store, which was called a Sari Sari store. Sorry, sorry stores. Well, like, you want to buy something? It's in here for the whole community. But there were many opinions as to who owned how much of the store, and that was often the way with sorry, sorry stores. When I heard her prayer list of how she felt that God needed to give favour to some of the family and to deal with some of the others to teach them a lesson, and the complexity of the situation began to grow, I thought, I'm going to need a Philadelphia lawyer to deal with this. How am I going to pray? And I said, so you've just been hearing about faith. And she said, but I don't have enough faith to pray, but I've told my friends that I'm going to use Pastor Paul's faith. I said, okay. That hadn't been my plan, really when I just taught about having faith. But I was quite agreeable about praying and I found myself praying, probably not the prayer that she would have prayed. I found the Holy Spirit leading me in a prayer that she would be set free from anxiety and resentment about the situation and that she'd find the kind of wisdom that James speaks about, about using entreaty and making peace and not starting family feuds. And I found that flowing out, I thought the Holy Spirit was with us and she was in agreement with the prayer. And in the end, we surrendered it all into the Lord's hands and that amen was real. Now, that's just a shadow of what I came to understand about having the faith of our friend Jesus, not just faith in Jesus. That dear lady wanted my faith. Lo and behold, the Holy Spirit said, here, pray this. And I felt we were there with the Father, with God. You've probably done the same thing. You felt that somebody's been leaning on your faith. God bless that. The reality is our prayers depend upon the faith of Jesus. That has helped me enormously. I think I don't know what to pray. Have I got faith for this? Jesus says, it's all right. I can hear those words. 
I think I might just uh, leave a bit of that out and <laughs> add a bit of this. I've got your prayer. Romans 8, verse 25, it speaks about this. You see, when our prayers depend on the faith of Jesus, that is our ultimate act of faith in Jesus. He represent us, represents us to the Father and the Father to us. He's, there's one mediator between God and man. Now, we can pray for one another, but he's the one that's got it all wrapped up, all arranged. It's relational. Romans 8.25, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. There's stage one of intercession. With groanings too deep for words. In other words, the Holy Spirit's job is to come and let us know I understand that need. I can feel that pain, that anxiety, that restlessness. I know what's going on in there. And we do come to prayer often with emotions and feelings. Feelings are more direct. Feelings are what you're actually feeling right now because of the situation. Emotions kind of, they're not as easy to deal with. They're, they're the feelings that get set in concrete and hang around for years. They've got to, <laughs> they're things like resentment and stuff. You think, I should have dealt with that then. But if you deal with how you feel now and bring it to God and confess that, it doesn't get bottled up. But the Holy Spirit deals with that. He says, I'm across everything you're feeling. Don't suppress it. Don't deny it. Be there with it. Sit with it. So, the Spirit intercedes for us with the groanings, too deep for words. That's that sense of empathy, sympathy, compassion. And he who searches the hearts, that's Jesus, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he, Jesus, intercedes for us according to the will of God. A done deal. You've got it, you know it, and it's according to the will of God. This prayer that I'm surrendering to you, which I'm not quite sure whether I've got it half right or not, you're putting together perfectly according to the will of God. So that's Jesus doing that. It says, that's in verse 25, 26, and then, then that, it says that everything then gets harmonised and brought together for the right outcomes, working together for good, because Jesus has put it on track for us. And in verse 34, it, it actually reiterates that, and it says, it is Jesus who is interceding for us. God said, I looked for a man, I looked for somebody to stand in the gap. Well, we've got the one. Now, I want to keep that in my mind and make it something that I'm very conscious of in times of need, when I want to bring something towards the Father. I know that Jesus will take it to me. And the Holy Spirit will be translating the feelings and Jesus knows the mind of the Spirit. They all work together. And it can become a way of life. I joke sometimes at home about if, if I lose my keys, I say, all right, well, here's another job for Jesus. And my approach to him in prayer is, Jesus, if you lost your keys, you know I'd help you find them, don't you? <laughs> so now, will you please help me find my keys? And I've, I've got my keys here today. <laughs> anyway, that... That one works for me. But it's just a sense of knowing you've got a friend, you've got somebody that's got you on his mind and is there to help. You're not alone. So 
Paul knew that the Hebrew Christians were fading in faith. So he says, realise that Jesus desires to impart that faith, bring our needs before his Father as you go through the trials. And then he tells them, don't think of your life as one that's doomed to affliction, but one that is destined for faith. Everything is an opportunity to get Jesus praying to the Father. As it said in verse 16 about Abraham, because I want to talk about Abraham now, because he's a good example. He's like us to Jesus. Humanity stands for humanity in this little story because he comes into the scripture here. Surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So Abraham gets a mention because Abraham is also a friend of God. And Abraham is the father of faith. That's in Galatians 3. So Abraham and Jesus, as friends of faith together, have much in common concerning their faith life. They both had to leave one world behind them and go into another world, enter a new one. They learned to trust God totally in times of uncertainty. That's what, remember, that's what Jesus said on the cross. He said, I trust you totally. He's telling us, that's the way, it's done. I trust the Father totally. And that's what Abraham learned to do. Not straight away, but he, he learned to trust totally. And they both, Jesus and Abraham, understood resurrection reality. And we've been encouraged about resurrection today. Jesus is our resurrection. And Abraham had to believe that God was going to resurrect his child, his only son of the promise. And he had to surrender that to God. And that's, that's the key of resurrection faith, is the surrender. You've given me this, well, I'll give it back. We have those challenges in our lives. The uncertainty and the surrender, knowing there's a resurrection reality there. Now, Abraham had to leave the place where he grew up, leave his family behind, take Sarah into a, an unknown land, and he was promised that he'd have descendants and be the father of a great nation. And it seems like he gets that right. He gets it half right. He takes his father and his cousin Lot with him too. And that was going to cause him trouble on his journey. Now, so there's a lesson about um, going into a new thing, entering the new world, like that world of faith. And that is, realise you've got to leave some things behind. And we can find ourselves clinging to the back there stuff. Like Abraham said, come on, Dad, you're coming. Lot, you can come too. He must have wondered, what did I do that for? Because there are things that give us more of a sense of, I can manage this or control this better if I've got the stuff that I'm used to, the stuff that I'm used to trusting in, that the world would have given, some sense of certainty for my satisfaction, security, my safety. Well. We can certainly arrange those things in our natural life, but there's always a degree of uncertainty in those things. And Abraham faced many uncertainties. He made mistakes of judgment, and so do we. But he learned to get trust God through them all. I'm not terribly worried. I don't want to say this sounding like I'm irresponsible. But before God, I'm not worried if I 
or make a mistake or make a, just don't judge something properly. Mistake of judgment. If I've got my heart set towards God, then I know that he will bring things around and reorder things so that I will learn from those things. Because he covers us with mercy in those things. He covered Abraham. Abraham, as I say, half got it right, it took his family, and he half told the truth when he, he had his wife Sarah visiting the Pharaoh and the kings. He told them she was his sister. Well, she was his half-sister. So God says, all right, I'll let you get through with that, but you better learn. Face things up. Tell the truth first time round. There'll be consequences, but they're better than trying to reorganise yourself after a bunch of half-truths. <laughs> and then there's the uncertainties of life. That's what's hard for us today. It's hard for the entire world. So many people are going through, battling with the uncertainty. Here in Australia, we're blessed. We've got a pretty reasonable degree of certainty as to our health with coronavirus, but we're a day or two away from uncertainty. Before Abraham left, he was promised by God that he had a son and many descendants, but he had to wait because despite the promise, Sarah couldn't have a child. So Abraham acted impatiently and he, he had a child by his servant or his wife's servant girl, Hagar. And you think, well, wouldn't that have ruined it for Abraham? What if we made a mistake like that? Wouldn't God say, oh, well, I'll find somebody else. And I said, I'm sticking with you, Abraham. This is a lesson for all the brothers and sisters, the human brothers and sisters, that are going to watch you do this. But it's not going to stop my promise from coming in due time. I'm going to back what I've said, and it's going to come. But Abraham had to bear the consequences of his impatience. That's not an easy one, is it? Learning that lesson. Jumping in too soon, even in little things. Oh, you think, oh, that's just what I need. Yes, I'll order that now. Right, so yeah, credit card number, that's it. Think, oh, hang on. Shouldn't have got that, I should have got this. Consequences are I've got that and I've got to pay for it. There's lots of other things that you jump into. And we've got a friend. Talk to him about it. But a miracle happens. God hasn't forgotten his promise to Abraham. Sarah has a child in old age, Isaac. But that's not the end of the journey. God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only real God-given son on an altar, on a mountain. And this time, Abraham's faith is complete. He puts Isaac on the altar of sacrifice, trusting God that he would either provide another sacrifice, he'll find a ram or a lamb, or raise Isaac from the dead. That is resurrection faith. And I believe that's the kind of faith God wants us to have in the sense that Jesus will do the resurrection thing. He will raise up even things that we've gotten wrong. But if we're willing to die to them and surrender them and say, I'm putting them in your hands, thank you, Jesus, I'm offering this, this is my surrender. This is the sacrifice of surrender. It's now back in your hands, he said, 
Resurrection's working. It's on its way. And that was Abraham's pinnacle of faith. It really didn't get any better than that. He lived with that. He went through a lot of other things that were, that were ordinary day-to-day -day life challenges, but that was his. That's what God wants us to know. So Jesus wants us to get to that place. Yeah, I believe he wants the church to get to that place, putting it in God's hands. Not demanding we know exactly what God's will is and we'll get together and we'll pray and God, you'd better do it. Look at, the, look at us all, the ones that pray. We agreed that this is your will. Okay, did you? Mm. Thank you, thanks for telling me. I could have got that wrong, fellas. <laughs> oh. Now, Jesus left his heavenly world, he became one of us, and then he took us back with him into his heavenly world, rose from the dead, and we stay with him on earth, but living from heaven. I believe God wants us to know that today. And that the resurrection life flows out of sacrifice of surrender to God. That's where we live in the area of the miraculous. And we can have false starts just like Abraham. We can have, even have an Ishmael or two. Like Abraham had a false start. He had an Ishmael, didn't wait for Isaac. And Ishmael had 12 tribes and they're all over the Middle East to this day. So there are Ishmaels where we've tried to do God's thing our way, impatiently perhaps. God has us on his journey and he'll provide supernaturally the completion of our faith. It's a wonderful thing about Abraham being the father of faith. That's our spiritual childhood of Abraham, but in the natural, Abraham had Israel as the sand of the sea and he also had the Ishmaelites. So all of the folks that are living in the Middle East now that are not of Israel are somehow of Ishmael, Esau, and they received a blessing from Abraham, their father, and I believe God wants to bring them into the full blessing of what he had for Abraham by faith. They're very dear to God's heart. I believe God wants us to see that he hasn't put Abraham in there and Abraham's mistakes just to end up as something, a riddle that'll never be solved. God is somewhere in that. Pray for all of Abraham's children that they'll find the son. A resurrection faith is the meeting point. We leave the old world behind and they'll enter the world that Jesus has prepared. We share his faith. We have a consequence to this. We're living in the area of the miraculous. False starts and all. We can now say we're going to experience a supernatural walk with Jesus that he wants us to have. We're going to share his own faith. We're going to see him as a friend in every situation. We're going to have answered prayer because Jesus is praying. Surrendered prayer because we're offering it back to God. And that is where we will be able to live with 
peace and love and hope and faith and be there for one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God, praying, surrender prayer for one another, and as friends, knowing that we're there for one another. So I thank you, Lord, for giving us a lesson of friendship, no matter how awkwardly we might do things because of our humanity. We can trust totally in you as you cried out on the cross. He has not despised my cries of deep despair. He has not turned and walked away. When I cried to him, he heard and came. In Jesus' name, amen.